the first ever episode of Let's Be Frank. I'm Frank, and frankly, I'm quite excited to be here. Uh, this podcast has been a long time coming, a dream that I've always had, and this year, 2021, I have decided to dive in. I'm going to be recording and releasing a podcast for each week of 2021. I'll be talking with friends, family, experts about news, policy, sports, culture, and whatever else I find interesting. I'm figuring this thing out as I go, and I expect the show to grow and change over the course of the year. So uh, right now, for example, I am currently Googling how to record a podcast. So yeah, hopefully I'm not doing that once we get to August. Uh, the first episode that we're recording today has a topic that feels a little heavy, but to be honest, it's been a heavy week. And one, I don't want to ignore it. And two, I want this podcast to serve as a time capsule of sorts, how I felt when things were happening in real time. Um, but <laughs> hopefully it'll be funny and entertaining as well. Um, so last week, which already feels like it was eight years ago, uh, we rang in a new year. The president was caught on tape trying to steal an election. The Democrats won the Senate by winning two runoff races in Georgia. And then on Wednesday, the president incited a riot amongst his most fervent supporters who stormed the Capitol. By Friday, the president was facing a growing course of calls to resign or be removed from office. And he was also permanently banned from Twitter. Friday was also the worst day yet for the coronavirus pandemic. Talk about a fucking lousy way to start the year. Uh, you may have found yourself drained this week. I know I have been. I have felt angry. I've felt embarrassed, disturbed, disgusted, heartbroken. I found it really hard to focus uh, and really hard to think clearly. So I decided to seek out inspiration. I Googled inspiring quotes, and after reading, <laughs> after reading through a collection of quotes, some that felt like platitudes, some that were really generic, and quite a few quotes attributed to Marilyn Monroe, of all people, I found a quote that really resonated with me. It's from Eli Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor and writer of books like Night, which chronicles his harrowing experience in Auschwitz and Buchenwald. Anyway, the quote goes like this. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. In the face of such horrifying news at such an unrelenting pace, it is easy for me to lose hope, to wonder whether anything can truly be done to make things better, to feel scared and small, to lose belief in the systems and in humanity at large. In short, to feel indifferent, as if the problems in the world are so large, so frightening, and so ingrained that it forces you to wonder, what's the point? Is it worth it to even try? Wiesel's quote is so powerful to me because it is a reminder that it is exactly that sort of indifference that leads good people to limit themselves. Indifference is the potting soil for cynicism, ignorance, and laziness. At least, that's what I think. And then I started to wonder, well, why is it important to try? What is there to gain by caring when there is so much wrong in the world? And if indifference is the opposite of love, art, and faith, and life, then what is the opposite of indifference? I started to think about my friend Mitch, 
Mitch is an actor and a comedian who lives in New York. Mitch is one of my oldest friends and also a guy who, simply put, gives a shit about what is happening in the world. For example, after Congress reconvened in the Capitol this week, once the building was secured, Mitch stayed up until 4 a.m. to watch Congress certify the Electoral College vote. Why? I decided to invite him on the show uh, to ask about that and also just to catch up with him. Mitch Lerner, welcome to the show. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is awesome. Um, I uh, I love that quote. Um, uh, it, I think you know it's it's important, but I want you to know that I think that that quote is actually by Marilyn Monroe. Oh, really? Oh, she got another one in there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. That was, that, that that was her based on a, a bad movie shoot that she had. <laughs> Um, she had a disagreement with the, uh, the director and (laughs) it was a hard time. Yeah. Fair enough. I I mean, I, it's so funny. I was going through the Goodreads, um, like they have like a quote function. Do you use Goodreads at all? all, Yeah. They're all misattributed. You know, I remember from like, you know, writing essays or whatever, looking up and being like, well, I need a good quote from this, from, from somebody and looking it up and just being like, I, this same quote in a row three times was just attributed to three different people. Albert, it's usually Albert Einstein, Marilyn Monroe, and then someone, you know, you've never heard of before or something like that. And usually it's that person who actually said the thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, Marilyn Monroe on the Goodreads thing had like, on the first page alone, like four or five of like the top quotes on Goodreads. Iconic. I was like, wow, She's she iconic. really, she really, she got a lot in there. Um, so uh, where does this podcast find you today, Mitch? Uh, I mean, like you said, uh, in, in New York, uh, it was a, a nice day outside today. Um, and that, that's always funny to have like a nice, a, a nice day and walk around and be like, oh, life's not so bad. And then like yeah. take like eight seconds to look at Twitter or, you know, <laughs> uh, take your head out of the sand and just be like, oh, right. Stuff's still on fire. Uh, consistently now. Um, and it's just this, this sort of wait for whatever the next flame is going to be. Um, and yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm good as, as good can be right now. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, I imagine if we've been having this conversation on, Wednesday or Thursday, we're, we're, we're recording on a Sunday. And obviously the, the capital thing happened on, uh, on Wednesday. Um, I imagine we probably would have had, been having a much more uh, intense conversation. So that's, it's, as I was saying in the intro, like the time capsule part of this, it's weird how quickly for me, um, we're able to process these things now. Um, I mean, I know the world, like if you open up any, uh, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, whatever, it's still, you know, this is, this is the story and will be the story for a long time. Um, and, uh, and we could talk about that, but, um, it is sort of a me, I don't know if it's the fact that we've lived through four years of this, uh, or, or however long and, and, and we're somewhat, I I don't know. I mean, do you? Do you, does, how, how are you feeling about it today and how does it differ from where we were a few days ago? Well, I think the reason that we don't 
feel affected by it right now is because there's a great argument to be made that it doesn't affect us. Mm. And uh, you can, you can look at the news and get very upset about it, but then, you know, today I woke up and made a cup of coffee and watched a football game and, you know, took a walk around my neighborhood and that day-to-day stuff doesn't change. So there is the trauma of witnessing it, but you're witnessing it through a screen, you're witnessing it through, through reading, whatever. And, and it, and it sucks and it's terrifying. And then, and then you can still do what you were doing yesterday if you want to, you know, I, I, I was exhausted yesterday, I think, was the day that my body sort of like relaxed from whatever uh, Thursday was and then waiting on Friday to see and, and you know, Trump getting banned from Twitter and all of this, all of this stuff of that, that very much affects our country and very much affects like what our life might look like in a couple of months as that because uh, money doesn't trickle down. The only thing that trickles down is like the shit from above. Of uh, that's what um, Reagan was talking about when he when he coined that phrase. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was a scatological thing he had, <laughs> and it was really a word of warning. Like, not everything is as solid as you think it is. <laughs> um, the the uh, it was that uh, he was he liked that and like jelly beans or some shit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, Interesting guy. Interesting. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but, but like you could ostensibly not know about everything that just happened yeah. and stuff looks the same, but then in eight months when there's an armed, you know, yeah. national guardsman on every corner or whatever, let's just say as the, the snowball goes down the hill, all of a sudden that impact becomes visible. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like, I'm, I think it's really important to keep track of what's going on and sort of absorb the, the shock as it's happening. And then, and then be able to figure out how to react to it before that stuff trickles down to everybody around. Uh, but, but I think that's why we're processing stuff so fast because we've seen so much shit in the last four years mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and beyond, but especially in the last four years. And it's, it's gotten exponentially insane. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of weird. The, the amount of insanity that is happening is more now, but every little thing affects us a little bit less because yeah. we didn't have the antibodies for it in 2017 yeah yeah uh and and shit is just as crazy every day but you know it takes a literal invasion of the capital in order to get us to stop everything and 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 bear witness and call family members and all that yeah um this is this is number one most crazy thing of his presidency, right? That, that just that question just floated into my head. Like I'm thinking back on the last four years, we like the Comey firing was pretty insane. I remember things being really heightened around the Kavanaugh hearings. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of like the most crazy things. There was the the missile strike that he did on that Ar- Ar- Iranian uh, general. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. was that was pretty insane. And that was more recent than like it seems. Yeah, it was a year ago. <laughs> it was January of 2020 that he did that. It's that's when we knew it would be a great year. <laughs> right there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but this is number one, right? I think, right? It, it, it has to be. It has to it, be. It, it has to be, and not by a little bit. Yeah. But, but that's just because the physical manifestation of all of his insanity and all yeah. of the gaslighting that he's done to his people and all of the the um, uh, enabling that his apparatus, apparati, is that plural for apparatus? Sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. like all of that, has come together and this kinetic thing happened that we can look in horror as sort of you know, what is hopefully at least the crest of the crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, so, all right, so backing up a little bit. So where, so where were you when it happened? How are you watching it? How are you processing it? Like at, at the time? And then, I don't know, how, how are you processing it now? I was, how am I processing it? Bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's bad. Yeah. I, I, I was in so my, you're not in favor. <laughs> I would say I'm, I'm at least sternly against <laughs> the events of January 6th. I'm, I'm more against it than Coca-Cola, but maybe not as against it as Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Understood. Um, the we, we have to look to our corporate leaders. That's right. This time. That's right. Um, I I was in my apartment and was sort of just going about my day a little bit and was. Were you watching? Did you watch his speech before? I watched a little bit of it. I was curious as to what McConnell was going to say yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. So and. And I heard, I think we even had a text chain going and we're talking about that people were, you know, that he was going off in a crazy way. And I wasn't really interested in that because to me, it's, it was very predictable what he was going to say at this thing. Um, But I turned on the TV to see uh, McConnell's speech uh, basically so that I could form the argument that uh, it doesn't matter what he said. He's done too much bad already. Fuck that guy. Um, but it was nice to see him stand up and pretend to care about something. Um, <laughs> so as that's happening, things were going a little, things were going a little bit yeah. nutty and the, the news hadn't really like caught on yet to that was going on. All the coverage was still either in the Senate or, you know, Trump or whatever. And, uh, and just sort of slowly, it slowly slided or slid over to what was going on with the protests. And it sort of became this thing where these two plots, the yeah. what was going on in the Senate and the end of Trump's uh, uh, rally it became the same story. And there was a reporter, I was watching PBS News Hours like reporting to see the, the Senate stuff. And they had a reporter on the phone 
who was giving the play-by-play and you could hear the audio of the glass getting broken and oh people God. pounding in and her saying like, there's no Capitol police around here. Uh, they're bashing on the windows. They're bashing the doors. Oh my God, they broke the window. Oh my God. Oh, they're coming in and hearing that play-by-play and hearing her, I, I wish I knew the name of the reporter who was doing it, but her clear-eyed reporting and also the sound of suppressing panic in her voice was really, uh, you know, recognizable as someone going through something and, um, and just being in a moment where they have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, and so for, and that, I mean, that ended up being the day it was just watching and listening and, and all of that. Um, did you have work that day? Did you have things to do? Or I, I think you mentioned in the intro that I'm an actor and comedian. So right <laughs> now uh, I have nothing to do. That That's, by the way, that's why I was up until 4.30 in the morning because well, I've got let's nothing get to, that. to do. No, because, <laughs> that's, because there are other actors and comedians that didn't do that. So that's, that's I want to dig into that a little bit more. Because uh, okay. there's something there, I think. I think there's something there. Yeah, for sure. A sickness on my part. <laughs> uh, I, I, if I if I don't know something the second it's happened, I feel I feel behind. Um, <laughs> no, well, we can get into it. But but the the uh, but no, I didn't have much to do. Yeah. So so that so you weren't in a position where you were like canceling plans or anything or I don't know. Was Emily there with you? Was your partner there with you? Uh, yeah, yeah, she was. And, um, and she had something that she needed to do. So I ended up actually, uh, from about three to four, uh, going on a little jog, but having my phone in my hand and sort of jogging and then walking and then jogging and then walking and alternating between listening and watching, and then came back and sort of filter in on what had gone down and it just felt crazy saying the actual yeah. words yep. um, of like, this does not sound like words that I thought would ever come out of my mouth. Yeah. And they sound, as soon as you say them, they sound as serious as they are. Right. Like I had, I had sort of a similar experience where uh, Chelsea, my, my fiance was, uh, was working. And so she was like on calls, like back to back from, I don't know, one to two thirty ish, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we were on a text thread that where it was me and my mom and her and my mom and I were texting like, what the fuck is going on? Oh my God, this is fucking crazy. And she like, picked up her phone at the end of that set of calls. And she was like, what's going on? Like, what did I miss? And like actually going downstairs and talking to her and like hearing the words, like, like an arm, like an armed group of like a mob broke into the Capitol and, uh, and they're in there right now. And that, that for me, I think like looking back on it in terms of, uh, there's there's a million uh, emotions and and moments that'll like just be forever etched into my mind. But I think one of the the first things that I remember feeling or or thinking is like they're just walking around. Like how are they just 
how are they just walking around? And you, you know, we see later through videos that, that come out through Twitter, like people heroically staving people off. And, you know, um, that, that one, I'm thinking of that one officer who was by himself, like holding people off from the staircase and, you know, um, running up the stairs and calling for backup and stuff, you know, him versus the mob and that sort of thing. But, but the footage I was seeing at the time was just a, a, a shot from the rotunda of, and they were just, walking through they were just you know people carrying yeah, yeah. trump the, the, flags and confederate flags and they were just strolling i mean zombies are in the house it, it was unbelievable it was unbelievable i mean um i don't know what what are images from that day that are are um I mean, there are some horrifying ones that, that I that I found later, um, but from from the day itself, like what what stands out to you in terms of the way you'll remember it visually? Visually, all of the all of the uh, the Q flags and the Trump flags and the fucking Confederacy. Uh, pockmark um being waltzed through the capital and being on the steps and and stuff like that that's striking and unfortunate um the the thing i think i'll take more from it as far as visceral memory goes isn't necessarily like a a visual i think it's more uh just how much of a clown show it was that these people got to that place yeah it is so stupid that they were allowed to do that and i think it was there's going to be a lot of uh investigating as to like who knew what when because there were there were people on twitter and parlor and facebook and all of that openly saying what they were planning to do yeah and I don't think we didn't take them seriously is an adequate uh, answer to what was going on. And so, like, that the Capitol Police who were there attempted to do their job in a way, um, to me, it's it's less heroic and more just like, well, these must be the people that got left out to dry. These were the yeah. people who weren't in the club who yeah. either, you know, who weren't um told not to go to work and not not to like sound too conspiratorial but there were i think 68 capitol policemen on uh on duty to guard the capitol that day and this is in stark contrast to uh the unscalable wall that's already been that was already put up in front of the white house and all of the security over there and at this point it's been like hammered home a million times but the difference between the security forces when there were peaceful black lives matter protests and uh this where people were actively calling for insurrection whether or not they knew it or not i'm sure there's there's 70 percent of the people who were there are just dumb and, and I, I don't say that even in a way that is like hateful. These people have been led astray by sources that they trust and they've gone down this road and here they are. I would say 60 to 70% of them are just unfortunate lost souls who uh, uh, harbor some pretty heinous beliefs. Um, and 
then you've got the other 30 to 40% of people there who meant fucking business. Yeah. And the idea that that sort of tip of the spear, the people who meant business were allowed to go in there with the, the sort of the cover of the large dumb mass that they were leading is a mind bogglingly stupid mistake or purposeful uh, pass by the people who were supposed to be guarding that building. Um, And it's all so stupid. Just the, the, what are they doing this for? For fucking Donald Trump? For the, the, the stakes guy, for the apprentice guy, the guy who's just like, you know, ran teen Miss America pageants so he could like look at a boob. Like that's the guy. Yeah. Um, that you're willing to die for, literally. Yeah. You're really willing to die for. Yeah. So, so that thought and that sort of the, the, difference between how that should have gone and how it went and what the actual belief system is involved in the people who are doing it versus like whatever the reality is that we're living in. That's, that's what sticks with me more Mm -hmm. than any one image of some guy who knows how to make a costume doing some cosplay. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Uh, so the building gets secured and, uh, they come back in session and Pence gives a pretty strongly worded, you know, this is, we're not going to be overrun by a mob and we're going to do the people's business sort of thing. McConnell said something else, basically, uh, similar. And then, um, Senators get up and start start uh, debating what the the business was on the floor. All right, so I like at that moment of the evening, do you know at that point that you're gonna be up till four a.m.? I knew I was gonna see it through. Yeah, I didn't know it was gonna take until four a.m. I was really hoping that uh, when. Howley made those remarks when they first came back into session. He said something to the effect of like, in lieu of saying this later, there were a lot of problems in Pennsylvania. And what I was hoping that meant was that he wasn't going to actually go through with the two hour shit fest that happened afterwards. Uh, uh, That was wildly optimistic. Um, Yeah. It turns out he's still, he's still a lot to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's the worst. He's the worst. He's, he's the second worst. I think Ted Cruz is the worst he's senator. The worst. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. So I knew I was gonna just like watch it, and I couldn't figure out why. And I saw some tweet or something that was like, "I don't trust the U.S. government to get this done, so I have to watch them." <laughs> and that it, that sort of ended up what it was was like this futile uh, exercise of babysitting the government from my couch, (laughs) making sure that they clean up their toys. (laughs) (laughs) What did you, uh, what'd you gain from the experience? Not sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I, you lost a night of sleep and, but maybe, I don't, I don't know if, if you felt, if you feel like you gained anything from it. 
that's I don't know if I gained anything from it. I, I I'm not sure this is a thing. I don't have any like vested interests in either upholding the status quo or not. Probably more on the side of of not, but not like this. Um, so I, I don't know if I gained anything or, or not. But what I what I felt like I saw was desperate people scrambling too late to undo their mess. Yeah. And I thought it was important to watch them do that and watch the shit on Mike Pence's face that he should be eating for the rest of his life for enabling this. Uh, The words of Mitch McConnell talking to an increasingly small number of people because he's done so much damage that him doing the bare minimum at the last moment uh, is honestly probably going to do more to alienate his voters than anything else. But, but he did it because I think he and Pence understand that they live in a nation of laws and they work, they work the refs as much as they can. And they try to change the laws to be completely unjust and pass things that will, uh, help only the smallest number of people, but they work within that system to do it. I think more to protect themselves and to protect their own interests than any other reason, but they still are afraid of trying to topple that system because they know they are at the end of the day, technocrats and their power comes from knowing how to use that system. They, in a, in a, field with crazy people have no chance yeah do you but but there is kind of a sense of like you can't put the genie back in the bottle too that i was feeling like they it felt like they kind of were realizing the gravity of everything that had been leading up to this right and and indulging this lie that you know this was that this um, election was stolen and, and you saw senators like Kelly Leffler who was like I can't in good conscience you know I, I came here today to uh, to vote against um, you know or, or, or to support you know the investigation into sure. voter allegation but now I can't in good conscience do that which yeah you win a medal for <laughs> gaining a, a spine at the end of your term but um, yeah. but 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 but, but when I think about that, I do feel like a sense of like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like you were playing with fire. On the one hand, I I feel um, happy that there's um, a shift happening um, and that Pence and McConnell didn't indulge the lie. but on the other, it's like, but you enabled the lie to get where it is. They did indulge it. They indulged it right up until their literal yes. physical safety yes. was threatened. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The uh, And then they were like, oh, this is real. Like, and, it, and you can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, no, you can't. And, um, and the genie is uh, uh, drunk. <laughs> 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 the genie right. is very That's drunk right. Right. um yeah, and is. yeah is not is not happy yeah the i do want to 
flag something though about uh, you mentioned uh, Leffler mm-hmm. coming on and saying that she can't support it. Um, the Republicans who were the first to bail on this immediately after after the uh, uh, party in the Capitol um, were uh, Kelly Leffler, Elaine Chow, and Betsy DeVos, three billionaires. Yeah, these are people who just the second their interests didn't align with the people who they've been manipulating, taking advantage of, riding the coattails of uh, of Trump, whatever, the second their interests weren't aligned, they just bailed and walked away because they understand that they have a uh, Scrooge McDuck-sized safe that they just have to walk a little bit closer to for a minute and then see where the next alignment they can make to make sure that they have to give as little of that away as possible. So the fact that Leffler decided not to yeah. is less less a symbol of her actually believing that she can't do that for any sort of moral reason and more just understanding what is financially in her interest. Yeah. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And also that uh, brings us to the Georgia election, which let's let's uh, pivot on over to that uh, real quick, because I think that sort of ties into the, the theme of the episode a little bit. We shouldn't uh, Democrats should not have won uh, those Senate seats. And we did the night before all this should happen. And the whiplash of waking up on Wednesday morning with the uh, New York Times alert that Raphael Warnock had won and and Ossoff was likely to win and that the Democrats had won the Senate to what I guess I woke up around 6.45, so six, seven hours later, like to, you know, the the enemies are at the gates and, and are literally, I mean, you know, desecrating a symbol of, you know, American democracy and, and, uh, was pretty intense. Uh, but, uh, there, that is another sign that, that things are changing and shifting and another, I don't know, in terms of getting back to the theme of the episode and uh, the opposite of indifference, uh, and caring, because um, I feel like that that's that's a part of this, like why people should give a shit. Like, I do think um, if we didn't have people, organizers like Stacey Abrams on the ground in Georgia, um, just to name a, a, a hero, but uh, among many heroes who who did amazing work in Georgia. Um, if they had been indifferent to what would what was going on, uh, we would still be in a pretty dark place. Like I, I, I had the thought the other day of like, what if we? I mean, we should have lost those races. What if we had lost those races, and then, and then those people come, and you know, Republicans still hold the Senate, and you know, yeah, the Republicans got to figure out what they're going to do about this violent aspect of their party and how to address that day. But, um, it feels, um, there's some comfort in knowing that things are going to change in the Senate, that Mitch McConnell is not going to be the majority leader. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if they have a question with that, but I don't know if you have thoughts around, uh, any of that, the, the idea of, uh, 
the the changing political futures or um or just Georgia in general how, how are you watching the the Georgia race were you were you firmly in the you know we're gonna lose this or where, I, where I, were you with it I was binging Tyler Perry movies <laughs> Um, you, you know, you were the one who told me he he was uh, he he did a lot of good down there, right? He did, he did. Yeah. I I uh, respect the hell out of everything he did in the election, and uh, will not mention any of the products that he puts out that have nothing to do with electoral <laughs> politics. Um, but no, it's I mean it's it's very good. It's 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 very good. And I think one of the things that's most alien about it in what you were talking about with McConnell being out of power and, and all of this happening is that it feels as though it feels as though we've entered an era of consequences. Yeah for all yeah. of the shit that's gone on in the last several years. Whereas Trump was beyond consequence for almost his entire presidency, all of a sudden he has to face a real crisis and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die and it's and it's horrible. And as a consequence, he loses the presidential election. Um, he incites a riot at the Capitol and as a consequence, he's silenced on Twitter. Uh, which is so funny because that should mean nothing. I know. But it, it, knowing that that's his only toy, that's the only thing that brings him yeah. joy and yeah. that he doesn't have that. And also he's too fucking stupid to deal with any other form of communicating with people. <laughs> that And he's a savant on there. Like, I can't say anything, yeah. but he was amazing at Twitter. Like he was, yeah. he was maybe the best ever at Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, used it for evil, <laughs> but, but he—he's uh, too dumb. His brain doesn't work in any way that's not in those short little angry yeah. bits. Uh, and he has the world's most powerful press office, and seems to not know that it exists. Yeah. So, so he—he's he a national address tonight. He could say, yeah. "All, all networks." I'm going on camera tonight. I have something to say from the Oval, and he could do whatever he wants. He could. It, the, the idea of him being censored is it, hysterical. I mean, that said, I don't know if his if his own people are ever going to let him get live in front of a yeah. camera again. It seems like they're sort of putting the lock on him too, like those two uh, wild uh, videos that he put out. Where I think the second one was recorded because nobody trusted him to actually be live in front of a camera because they know halfway through he would say it was bullshit. Yep. And they did actually cut in the camera halfway through. I would imagine because, you know, either his brain fell out of his ear again or he, <laughs> you know, just broke face and talked about how crazy it was that he had to do this. Um, but so he's facing consequences. The Republicans in the Senate are facing some consequences. Mitch McConnell's losing the gavel. The so in that sense, there does feel like there's a little bit of justice, and that's very good. Um, I and I'm thrilled that the Democrats have the Senate. Now I think it's going to be very very dangerous going forward. I have I have cautious optimism because if they can't prove to as many people as possible that their lives are actually better within the next two yeah. years, then they're going to get their clocks cleaned in the yeah. midterms. 
And that's going to mean, I mean, obviously that's going to mean the Republicans are going to take power again, probably in the House and in the Senate. So you've got a very limited window and you've got a lot of politicians in charge who frankly have a uh, history of not being willing to go big when it comes to uh, yeah. putting money in Americans' pockets, really, right. which is money and resources into poor Americans' pockets. Uh, there needs to be some serious policies of um, uh, redistributive wealth, really, of taxing the rich and just giving to everybody else in a way that just allows people to feel a little bit less shitty about their lives over the next two years. Mm -hmm. And one $2,000 check isn't going to do it. And it'll be particularly silly if instead of a $2,000 check, they give a $1,400 check because they already gave 600 of the 1400. And I'm worried that that Uh, conversation is already going to happen. (laughs) And I think that's, that's the, that's the sound of me recognizing, Oh my God, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Joe Manchin's going to walk out of the meeting and say, I got it down to 1400 and the Democrats and the other Democrats are going to walk out and saying, Hey, it's 2000. Yeah. And and they're both going to be right. And yeah. meanwhile, there's going to be people on the street saying, you promised me a $2,000 check, you assholes. Yeah. Yep. And so you've got the threat of Democrats being too scared or not having the votes to uh, put in rather radical policies, which I think is is going to be important. And I know I'm using scary words, redistributive and radical and all of that, but we're living in radical times. But people yeah. have been unemployed on record levels for ages. So to think that the same sort of like, uh, uh, you know, measures of a little bit of uh, uh, tax relief, if you do this or do that, is going to be completely inadequate. Yeah. Um, you so so that kind of gets me to again back to the the theme of the show um indifference. So the um so I've known you for a long time and I don't th- I think that something that I think you've said to me before was uh talking about like incrementalism and that sort of thing is that you used to be much more of a believer in that and now you you believe the best way to make a difference um is is to be more uh i don't know what the word is but yeah do you want to do you want to kind of speak to that of like where you are politically now versus where you were i don't know four years ago yeah yeah sure it's it's changed uh and i mean i think you know i i come from uh, the same place you do. I come from an, you know, middle-class, upper-middle-class suburb in outside of DC. And the overriding thought of my upbringing and my childhood and my, you know, going to college uh, was all sort of the system is pretty good as it is. We just need to hedge hedge toward social liberalism to give more people, uh, you know, more rights, which has been great, which has been, you know, a good thing that's happened over the last uh, 10, 20, you know, 30 years. Uh, And economically, 
we sort of just need to stay the course and give people a little bit more opportunity. And growing up in the suburbs, that's accurate for that situation. Uh, And now I've been an adult, like you said, uh, actor, comedian, and nobody listening to this will uh, have ever heard of me from doing either of those things. So it's a pretty good assumption that I have been poor pretty much my whole adult life after I got out of college and was Uh, on my own. Up until this point, though, because we don't know, you know, 2021, new year. 2021. I'm getting a $1,400 check in a few months. (laughs) That's right. My time has come, brother. You're going to be rolling in it. Hey. <laughs> um, I'm going to turn that around, start a webisode <laughs> and, and go viral on hey. TalkTick. Hey baby, you're your next stop Quibi. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I've got some nice snackable bites for you. Um the no, so the idea of like, you know, okay, so I've been poor for my whole adult life pretty much. And every year of living that way, uh, the sort of myth that eventually you just grow up and things work out because this is America uh, that I learned from my very comfortable childhood. Yeah. It's just proven every day to be a little bit less true for like almost everybody in this country. Yeah. It's a very small number of people who just sort of can glide through and, uh, you know, rise or not fall uh, in socioeconomic status. And after 2008 and 2009, it's fewer and fewer of those people. Um, So living, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Anyway, let's let's joke more about Quibi. No, I, (laughs) I, um, as, so just like, you know, living for a while, it, it's just become very obvious to me that uh, that the way things were before Trump still had a ton of people out in the cold, almost everybody in the country out in the cold in some way, whether or not they knew it is, is different. Yeah. Um, but it just upward mobility was almost not a thing. And downward mobility is just increasingly a thing. And you've got uh, a ton of people who have never really felt represented by either party because whatever the Democrats would do while in power wasn't going to be enough to change their lives, mm-hmm. wasn't going to be enough to right the wrongs of the past or to make up for uh, generations of uh, struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, or even something as simple as addiction or mental illness. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, so you've got these two camps of to go back to the theme of your of, of your podcast um, uh, indifference, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the one camp where indifference is a risk because people start thinking of politics as too ugly, right? It's, it's, it's unsightly to watch and it makes me unhappy. And I just, I just can't really deal with this. I'm busy. I'm, there are people in my family who are 
like that, who are very sure. strongly like that. And it, yeah. Anyway, please keep going. It's, it, it is. Yeah. Anyway, please it, keep going. It, it's pervasive and it's pervasive in a way though, but that kind of indifference is kind of a privileged indifference of I can stop watching and my life's not going to change one way or another. And then you've got another kind of indifference, which is not privileged, which is the indifference of my life hasn't changed for generations. My family's lives haven't changed for generations, no matter who's in charge. So why the fuck should I pay attention to politics? It doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to be struggling no matter what. And so and that kind of indifference is not privileged. That is that is learned indifference over a long period of time because promises made, promises broken. Yeah. yeah. And the trick is, I, the trick is changing that. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole lot of promises just made in Georgia, mm-hmm. and there's a whole lot of promises that have been made over the years that if the Democrats can't start keeping in the next two years, uh, I, I don't think that there's, there's democratic control of either house or Senate for another decade. Yeah. Because things are now bad enough where if you can't change who's in charge and then change their material situation, why would anyone believe anything again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be that kind of indifference. That kind of indifference is easier to fix if you have the votes and the will, mm-hmm. because you just have to provide provide money, resources, and make sure that people know who did it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the indifference of the of the um, uh, you know managerial class and of. Uh, the upper middle class and whatever that indifference I'm less concerned with because most of those people are still going to vote. Mm-hmm. And this, the, the, the scary part about it is they're just going to vote for whichever team they're on yeah. because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, and so part of watching, part of watching this thing on Wednesday was watching the price of that indifference. Yeah. You know, and watching it, see, seeing it in people's eyes, in Republicans' eyes, uh, in yeah. moderate Democrats' eyes. Oh, oh, this is what happens after years and years and years of either giving piecemeal things out or straight up lying. Mm-hmm. This is the cost. This could be the cost. Mm-hmm. And the fact it, it had to come home to them in order yeah. for them to see it, which is really disgusting. It uh, is disgusting. Do you? So for me, it does feel like this is like a pivot point in politics. I don't know if that'll actually play out, but I'm interested to know your thoughts about what do you think the future is? Where do we go from here? Is this a pivot point? How do things change? Um, I'd be interested in hearing what you hope happens, but also I'd be interested to hear predictions on what you think happens next and, and where things go from here. 
what I hope happens is that over the next couple of years, the Democrats give a chance for the left section of the party to actually lead from a policy position because that's never been tried before. You know, maybe not since the the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and times are so desperate that I think that that would be the only smart political thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that they do that. And then uh, people in states who have Republican governors and, and legislatures who aren't getting the same kind of benefits that the rest of the country are getting will understand why. And, and things can, can start to change in that way. Um, and people's lives get better, you know, yeah. uh, uh, neighborhoods that have been poor for decades can start, uh, you know, organically enriching themselves and, <laughs> and things, and, and things like that. I hope, I hope that, you know, at, at all. Um, and, and also that labor unions become a little bit more, uh, powerful because like, you know, with things like prop 22 happening yeah. and with, uh, it's just becoming the, the, the death of organized labor has caused, yeah just the entrenchment of the, a lack of upward mobility that, that threatens to just continue. Um, so I'm, you know, I hope, I hope that the left uses its power well. Uh, and, and the committee chairs are actually encouraging. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good news. That's really really exciting. It's really exciting stuff. Um, what, uh, 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 what do you think the future of the GOP is? Are, is it more of this? Do they try to figure out a softer side of Trumpism? Do they pivot to the middle? Do they, what do you think happens next? I think they're going to be very, the thing that's going to watch, that that, that we're going to have to watch for isn't what politicians say right now. Mm-hmm. The thing that we're going to have to watch for is who wins GOP primaries. Yeah. Because the thing that we've learned from them over the years is they'll back anybody who wins a primary. Right. Doesn't matter who. Right. And if their voters keep putting Q people up and keep putting up people who are are for that kind of Trumpism of just give me give me the power and let's make it as hard as possible to get me out of here and the words that come out of my mouth are completely immaterial if that's the end result which honestly i think is only a couple steps further than what the gop was doing long before trump but if they keep putting up those kinds of people it's really hard for me not to see them just falling in line behind that yeah. Uh, There's that I classic have, uh, James Carville quote, you know, uh, Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. Sure. Uh, which, I mean, you know, has has been borne out many times. Anyway, you were saying. Yeah. It, well, if the if they split, if that party splits, that'd be fucking great. Uh, that'd be that'd be great. That'd be great for the left. And it would be. uh 
a great way to show consequences to these uh, Republicans who thought they could have it both ways of let's just satisfy the mob enough. Right. And then, you know, keep passing corporate tax cuts. Yeah. And what they're realizing right now is that that might not be a tenable situation. It, it's never a tenable situation. Yeah. If you look at other countries and histories and all that sort of thing, you can't do that for very long because eventually the people in the mob figure out that you don't care about them. Right. But right. the mob's still there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, 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 and they're angry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're angry. So I, I, I don't know. I, sure as hell didn't predict Trump winning in 2016. Sure. So that, you know, I do think people are going to keep moving more leftward and more rightward and polarization is going to continue. And I, I, I don't, I don't mind polarization as long as my side has the numbers, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? I think that's just fine. Oh no, 45% of the country is furious. No, I mean it's 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 not great. Yeah, it's not but, great. But if we keep going in that way, I would just hope that people I would hope that the good people involved mm-hmm. are also willing to understand that 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 polarization means continuing to play to the middle voter right. is going to be harder and harder and harder. And if what happens, and I, I know I've spent a lot of time like talking more about the Democratic side than the Republican side. It That's just, okay. But I think that what's going on with Republicans right now, it's so, it's so clear. It's so in the news. It's so like very much in your face that, that we have to be strategizing about how to respond to it. Yeah. You know, like watching their side is, is, is watching something happen. We have no agency over that, but, you know, as people who, who, are on the left and who are involved in, uh, in volunteering and in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, doing all of this stuff, there's a, we can talk about what the best way to move forward is and hopefully find a united front against that stuff. So that's the conversation that I'm like trying to figure out how to have in the, uh, in the the wake of just the absolute shit show that has gone on, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I don't know. I'm hoping I'm hoping that what was it? I'm hoping that the I oh right. This is what I was gonna say. Um, and you can just edit around my my brain shorting out there. <laughs> um, but we're leaving it in, Mitch. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, just edit out that really long fart I did halfway through. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, I I want the the one tr- the a, a troubling thing that I see is if the idea is in the Democratic Party we have to keep going after that suburban voter that we got back in this election, and and that's our true north, then what that's going to do is just continue to erode the left until we have a very similar problem on the left, right? And that's yeah. not going to reactivate 
any of the people who have this learned indifference. That's a very good point. Yep. That's a very good point. Um, are you hopeful? Oh, super hopeful, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I woke up today. I had a cup of coffee. I walked around my neighborhood. Life is, life is great. <laughs> Probably going to go back to watching football in a minute. Yeah. You know, my life, my life is, is, is just fine. Well, uh, I certainly hope that we are entering an era of consequences. Um, and, uh, and I share your hope. Um, and uh, thank you for talking. I, I loved what you said about privileged indifference versus learned indifference and talking about the, the price of indifference as well. Um, I think those are really important concepts to keep uh, moving forward. And on a, on a personal note, one thing that I, uh, I didn't consciously do, but I'm very glad to have done um, uh, in, in creating this first episode and making it about, um, being opposed to indifference means that hopefully I'll do more of these. Um, and I don't become yeah. indifferent to, <laughs> to the goal of doing more of these. Uh, and I, and, and I would love to have you back, uh, another time. Cause I think that there's, uh, so much more to say here because, um, yeah, I think we're just scratching the surface here. And obviously, uh, you know, if 2021 has taught us anything so far, it's that it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, six days in, uh, we, we oh, yeah. quite a, yeah, that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. What are we eight days in? So yeah. that means that we'd were, were, we're averaging now 80 days of insurrection a year. Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 80 days of armed revolt in the capital a year. <laughs> would, you take, would you take the over-under on that? Uh, like I said, I'm hopeful, so I'll yeah. take the under. Okay, okay. Well, on that happy note, uh, thank you, Mitch, for coming. Uh, thank you for being the inaugural, uh, get it, uh, guest <laughs> on, uh, on Let's Be Frank and... Uh, yeah um we'll uh we'll have you back again soon frank thank you this is awesome i will come back anytime and uh yeah man i yeah I'm, i've got the availability but um <laughs> so much to Mitch Lerner for joining me. Check him out on Twitter at Mitch W. Lerner. Thank you so much to you for joining me for the very first episode of Let's Be Frank. This episode was recorded on January 10th, 2021. Our theme music is from the inimitable Aaron Blyden. My name is Frank Severich, and you can find every episode of Let's Be Frank on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. If you like what you heard, leave a rating and review, like and subscribe. Also, check out www thefrankpage.com I wish I had some sort of uh, pithy and clever catchphrase to say at the end of an episode so uh, if you have any suggestions on that uh, let me know bye